Hi, I'm Heather Mulder. And I'm Janice Greeno, and you're listening to Dementia Untangled, where we explore the topic of dementia through conversations with physicians, experts, and community leaders. Our discussions focus on innovative ideas, practical strategies, and proven methods to guide caregivers along a supportive path. Hello, and welcome to Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of our podcast. Today, our conversation will be with Dr. Jason Flatt, an assistant professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas School of Public Health. And we're going to be discussing dementia in the LGBTQIA community. Janice, I was reading the recent World Alzheimer's Report publication, and there was an essay entitled The Impact of Care in the LGBTQ Plus Communities by Julian Rougerie. And Julian said, many people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, trans, queer, and or other sexual or gender minority individuals have experienced many forms of rejection, exclusion, and discrimination over their life course. This is true for a majority of LGBTQ plus older adults who spent most of their lives in societies where sexual and gender diversity was considered a crime, a mental disease, or a sin, which was the case for most LGBTQ plus people prior to the development of political liberation movements, particularly in Western countries. So what's the result of this? We know that fear of discrimination can delay access to care. Actually, 40% of LGBTQIA plus individuals report their healthcare provider doesn't know their sexual orientation. We know this population has greater health disparities, many of which are risk factors for dementia. And 40% of LGBTQ adults report their support networks have become smaller over time and 34% live alone. And we know the impacts of social isolation and loneliness. And another thing I also read was uh, a study that uh, Dr. Flat led that was published in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease. Uh, the findings showed that nearly 25% of the LGBT adults aged 50 and older had subjective cognitive decline which is a potential indicator of a future Alzheimer's diagnosis. And according to the Alzheimer's Association, uh, only 10% of the overall population in the United States aged 65 and older has Alzheimer's disease. So there are so many complex questions to explore here questions we think that caregivers might be asking. And if you've been listening to our podcast for a while, you know that our goal is to help people navigate the caregiving journey and to seek ways to untangle the challenges of dementia that people are facing. We have so many questions today. Welcome, Jason. Thank you so much for joining our conversation. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and talk with you. Before we dive into this subject and learn more about your work, I would love to learn more about you. Could you tell us about your journey and what led you to connect with the dementia community? 
So uh, a lot of uh, my experiences stem from uh, when I was in high school. And so uh, I grew up in Florida and in a town called Port St. Lucie. And during uh, the last year of high school, I started working at an assisted living and advanced care facility. And uh, this was a really unique experience for me because I was basically planning the activities on the weekends. So uh, being a high school student, I had to wake up pretty early on Saturday and Sunday because bingo started at 8 a.m. and I was calling the bingo numbers. <laughs> yeah, but it was a, you know, one of the unique pieces for it was that, you know, I got to see people sort of through their transition of care. And I started to notice sort of the memory and related cognitive challenges that we would see people experience as they age. And so it really, for me, what stemmed from that was sort of this one of honoring our elders, but also this piece around we need to be thinking about, you know, the, the wave of the aging population that we're going to see across our country, but also internationally, and the growing rates of people who are older living with dementia. And so that really motivated me to kind of study this, uh, to do my training. So I went to University of Florida where I got my bachelor's. Then I moved to University of South Carolina in Columbia where I did a master's in public health. And then I went to the University of Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And that's where I did my PhD work in public health and really with a focus on dementia and learning about things like risk factors, protective factors, and how we can really address the needs of our growing aging population. And it all started with calling bingo on Saturday mornings. Yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we learn more about how this population is affected by Alzheimer's disease, can you help us understand um, the terms in the acronym LGBTQIA+. Yeah, absolutely. And I think your, your opening where you talked about really that uh, the World Alzheimer's Report and that example story was really perfect in how they were kind of describing some of the terminology. So what I'm using today really is to represent people's sexual orientation and gender identity. And so the LGBTQIA plus acronym, this stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, people that may identify as asexual or another identity. And then the plus to be inclusive for people that may use a different term, but they do not identify their sexual orientation as heterosexual, or they do not identify with the sex that was assigned to them at birth. And so their gender identity may differ from that sex assigned at birth, right? And so when we think about people whose gender identity aligns with the sex that was assigned to them when they were born, we often use the term cisgender, right? And so that's really why we're using that language. And when it comes to terminology, another word I kept coming across was epidemiology. Can you tell us what that means? Absolutely. Yeah. So epidemiology, right, is really it's a field where we study sort of the distribution or determinants 
that maybe result in health challenges or disease. And specifically when we're studying this, we're looking at populations. And so epidemiology is really focused on understanding, right, diseases among populations. And we wanna look at things like your risk, or we wanna understand, right, what are uh, lifestyle factors or other factors that might contribute to that risk. And so that's really um, how I use that term in my work. That was a really helpful definition and it kind of leads me into my next question. On Dementia Untangled, each season we try to offer an episode that focuses on a, a diverse group of people. And so far, our conversations, and I think a lot of times when we think of diversity initiatives even, we're really focusing on racial diversity. Mm-hmm. Why is the LGBTQIA plus group, one that focuses on se- sexual orientation and gender identity, why is that included in a, a conversation around diversity? So uh, a lot of this comes from sort of understanding the historical and social experiences that have impacted the LGBTQIA plus community, right? And so if we think about for those people, especially today that may be, you know, at risk for dementia or getting older, thinking of people age 65 and older, we know that they have experienced a lifetime where they have not had the same access to resources or opportunities in our society. And so things that we often think about as the cornerstones of successful aging are things like being able to accumulate wealth, right? And so one of the big issues for the LGBTQIA plus community is that they have not had the same opportunities for marriage equality, right? And so it wasn't until 2015 that same-sex marriage was recognized uh, nationally across our country. And while marriage has certain, you know, social kind of connotations in our society, it also provides protections for how wealth is shared if you were to lose a loved one, right? And so things like people's retirement or shared property, right, or other forms of wealth, much of the community has not had those opportunities. We also think about the piece, and you've brought up around caregiving and access to those resources. Well, being a uh, LGBTQIA plus person, right, has been stigmatized over their lifetime. And because of sort of the social and religious context, many LGBTQIA plus people were basically ostracized by their family when they came out, right? And so they have not had the same sort of opportunities to have social connections. Or when we think of caregiving support, often people are relying on family caregivers, right? And so what we see for the LGBTQIA plus community, especially those that are older right now, is that they have to rely on their chosen family. And so that creates unique issues for the community. And then finally, there's an issue around like healthcare access and broader well-being. And so we know that uh, being a uh, sexual minority or a gender minority, that often this resulted in a diagnosis 
of a mental health disorder because you were LGBTQIA+, right? And so people experience discrimination, especially in their early life when they would go to access healthcare. And people still experience that today, right? Where you might go to a healthcare provider and they either uh, misgender you, maybe they don't include your spouse or partner in those decisions, or what we've even been seeing uh, across our nation, especially in states in the Southeast, are policies that are being passed to restrict people from accessing things like gender affirming care, right? And so this results in stigma, but also actual experiences of discrimination. And so as you mentioned, right, over 40% of um, LGBTQIA plus people, their healthcare providers don't know about their sexual orientation. We also don't know about the numbers that don't know about gender identity, right? And so with those experiences, many LGBTQIA plus people are reluctant to access healthcare, but even some of the services that we know that people living with dementia greatly need and their caregivers need. So things like accessing adult daycare programs, accessing senior programs, right? Or other community programs that are often affiliated with religious institutions or affiliated with organizations that maybe have been focused on older populations and haven't really thought about how are their services inclusive to the LGBTQIA community. Jason, you've talked to us about community services and access and health care. I'm wondering, can you shine a little light on what has the research already shown us about the impact of Alzheimer's disease in this community? So you had shared a great study. It was one of the, the first one, right, where we found mm -hmm. like nearly 25% of people had subjective cognitive decline. And subjective cognitive decline is basically people's self-reporting that their memory and thinking has been getting worse over the past year. And so it's one way to potentially capture maybe some early signs of Alzheimer's or another type of dementia. We actually did a national study using the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, their behavioral risk factor surveillance system. Uh, it's a, na a national survey that each state kind of puts out every year, and they had the option to ask about sexual orientation and gender identity, and also if people were experiencing subjective cognitive decline. And what we found was at a national level, about one in six for the LGBTQ plus community was reporting that they were experiencing this subjective cognitive decline. And that was compared to non-LGBTQIA plus people, that was around one in 10. So you can see there, we're seeing greater concerns for the community. In terms of like dementia, we don't know a ton yet in terms of risk because many of our studies um, with older adults have not been asking about sexual orientation and gender identity. So much like we know about racial ethnic uh, communities in terms of health disparities, but also uh, higher risk for Alzheimer's disease, we haven't had sort of that uh, national effort yet 
to really look at that. Our estimates right now are really sort of um, not as accurate as we would like because we don't have enough data. We're estimating for lesbian, gay, and bisexual older people. Um, it's around like seven and a half percent that we see maybe living with dementia. There's also a study that actually came out of the Center um, for Medicare and Medicaid, uh, CMS, and they did a study back in 2015 that looked at transgender people in terms of you could identify people based on them receiving gender affirming care in the medical record. And what they found for this community, for transgender older people that were age 65 plus, about 18% of them had a diagnosis of dementia. And this was compared to 12% for cisgender, not transgender older adults. So we're seeing within even subgroups of the community, right, some greater concerns around dementia that we definitely should be considering. Jason, I'd like to learn a little bit more about the research that you do. Can you tell us about your work and around understanding the concerns and, and needs of this population? So a lot of my work um, so is informed. So I'm a social and behavioral scientist, but I also have training in epidemiology and specifically dementia. So I have uh, right now two federal grants uh, from the National Institutes of Health, their National Institute on Aging. And so the first one is a career award. And so this one really gives me about five years of protected time and training to explore the epidemiology of Alzheimer's disease and related dementias in the LGBTQIA plus community. And so what I've been doing for that study is I'm utilizing some electronic medical record data from Kaiser Permanente in Northern California. They had about, this was really unique. So this is back in around 2007 that they started this cohort. And they actually, one of the first studies that I'm aware of among older people, they asked about sexual orientation. So in this, um, in this electronic medical record data, we have information from over 200,000 members, but of that around 4,300 identified as lesbian, gay, or bisexual. And then we're able to pull some of the diagnoses from their medical record to look at, do you have a diagnosis of dementia, right? What other potential health or related risk factors do you also have diagnoses of? And so when we looked at this, this is where that number came from, that 7.4% had a diagnosis of dementia. And so we wanted to understand, well, how does this, how is this explained by things like differences in people's age or differences in the amount of education that they received or maybe some of the unique health risk factors that we might see for the LGBTQIA plus community. And so what we found in this cohort is that around seven and a half percent of lesbian, gay, and bisexual people had a diagnosis of dementia. And this was compared to around nine percent for heterosexuals. 
But what was unique in this cohort is that we found for the LGB participants, they had an earlier age in which they were diagnosed with dementia. So they were diagnosed about over like a little more than a year earlier than their heterosexual peers. And so this was concerning to us in terms of, right, will we see a greater number of people, given that they were younger, right, and they're getting diagnosed at an earlier age, will we see a higher number of the community that's going to have a diagnosis of dementia? We did some unique things where we looked at some of the factors related, and one of the big ones that concerns us is depression. So we typically find at a population level, higher rates of depression in the LGBTQIA community. We think this is linked with a lot of the hardships that they've had to endure over their life. So I already shared, right, experiences of discrimination, uh, being ostracized by family, right, and also experiencing challenges when they go to access healthcare or related services. And so we know that depression is a risk factor for dementia. And you, if you have a diagnosis of de um, depression, you have a twofold increase in your risk for dementia. And so what we found when we look at over time, what does the risk look like for LGB people? What we found was that for um, lesbian and bisexual women, they had a 23% increase in their risk for dementia compared to heterosexual women. We didn't find any differences for uh, gay and bisexual men compared to heterosexual men. So we're starting to see a concern, right? We do see at a population level, higher risks for dementia among cisgender, so that's not transgender, uh, women, right? We see that. And so we're starting to see a signal as well, right, for lesbian and bisexual women. So that was a big concern for us. We also did another little sub-study where we looked at LGBTQIA plus people that were living in senior housing in California. And we did some telephone calls with them where we did a telephone screening to look at their memory and thinking skills. We did um, this, uh, it's a survey called the Telephone Interview for Cognitive Status. And what we found for the community, these are LGBTQIA plus people that are living in senior housing. We found actually that over 40% 40, 40 of them, actually 43%, met sort of what we would consider a score for having potential memory impairment or cognitive impairment based on this screening tool. And then we found that if you had a sort of a lower score for your memory and thinking, that this was associated with you having problems or limitations in your daily activities, but also that you were often limiting your social activities with your friends and family members over the past four weeks. And so we're seeing some unique concerns for the LGBTQIA plus community. And that's really why we're doing this research to think about how can we truly meet the community's needs, but also learn more about their unique concerns and their risk for dementia.
Thank you for sharing about this research. There, there are so many concerning findings. And one thing that I hear that's continuing to come up is the importance of social engagement. Can you talk to us about that just a little bit? So that's um, a really important issue when we think about the LGBTQIA plus community. You had shared earlier, right, that statistic where, you know, it was like 40% were saying that their support networks had been become smaller over time. And then we take that with that point that I added around, right, many people cannot rely on biological family, right? And so if you think about as you get older and some of these cornerstones of aging, often it's family that you become connected to and rely on for social opportunities. And so we know, um, especially with the COVID-19 pandemic, that social isolation is a huge concern. Why do we think about it in those terms for LGBTQIA plus people? Well, we know the people that you interact with and socialize provide you with a lot of different resources. We can think about it, this is how often you learn about health information, or maybe you're looking for a doctor that specializes in, you know, diagnoses of dementia or concerns around memory and thinking. And often how you learn about that is by interacting with others, right? So there's one piece around your access to resources, right? That might be having, getting a ride to the doctor, having someone to talk to about your problems. Those can be really important. Social isolation is also tied with this piece around loneliness. And so when we think about mental health, right? We know that being isolated is not good for your mood. And so we can potentially see social isolation as contributing to risk for things like depression. So I've already shared depression can be a risk factor uh, for dementia. And so in some ways, somewhere in there, social isolation could contribute to the mental health issues. And then finally, Engaging with others, I view as like a really complex task for your brain, right? You're doing a lot with your brain when you're interacting with others. You're listening, you're using your different senses, you're doing some planning maybe of how you'll respond. Uh, you're using maybe skills in terms of if, if you're doing social activities together. So we can also think about engaging with others can be enriching for the brain. And so when you don't have those same opportunities, that could put you at higher risk for developing dementia. All of this talk around this incredible research reminds me of the importance that we have representation. Can you talk to that a little bit? And I think you have a tool actually. Yeah. So a big focus, right, if we think about representation of the LGBTQIA plus community is first that we need to be asking in our healthcare settings, in uh, the research that we do, right, and other things, even when we're documenting like aging and social services, we need to be asking about sexual orientation and gender identity. 
And there are some best practices out there. Recently, the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine put out a report really emphasizing the need for measuring sex assigned at birth, people's gender identities, and also their sexual orientation. And the big piece is if we don't ask, we will not know about the needs of the community, right? We can't understand differences in risk or differences in people's care needs if we don't ask about identities, much like the work that's progressed with us understanding a bit, and we're totally not there, but when we think about racial ethnic minority communities, right, and addressing the concerns, in order for us to do that, we have to assess race and ethnicity. And so we put that in line with the same thing that if we want to understand the concerns for the LGBTQIA plus community, we have to ask about sexual orientation and gender identity. And so I had mentioned I have two studies that are funded by the National Institutes of Health. And the second one we have right now that we're working on, I am leading this with colleagues, uh, Dr. Joel Anderson and Dr. Whitney Wharton. Uh, Dr. Anderson is at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and Dr. Wharton is at Emory University in Atlanta. And so what we have created is the first effort focused on recruiting, engaging, and really meeting the needs of the LGBTQIA plus community. And so this is called the RISE Registry. And RISE stands for Research Inclusion Supports Equity. And so if people are interested, you can go to the riseregistry.org. And what we're doing with this work is we're recruiting and engaging the community who's experiencing maybe memory loss, or maybe they are caring for someone that's experiencing memory loss. And so we want to learn from them about the types of research they would like us to be doing, but we also want to create opportunities for our community to participate in research, especially if we're thinking about the goal is to find a cure for Alzheimer's disease and related dementias. And in order to do that, we need to make sure that our LGBTQIA plus community is represented in that work. Right. And so that's what we're doing right now. So if people are interested, I really want to encourage you, please go to the riseregistry.org. You can sign up, join our registry, and you'll get to learn about the work that we're doing, different research opportunities, as well as an opportunity to tell us what type of research would you like to see happening? And so that's a, a lot of the work we're doing right now. Jason, this has been such an interesting conversation. I wonder before we closed, could you give us your final thought when it comes to dementia and the LGBTQIA plus community? I had mentioned we do not know enough about the experiences, the risk, and the needs of the LGBTQIA plus community who is living with Alzheimer's disease. We're seeing currently maybe similar risks, but also some higher risks for certain subgroups, right? Like lesbian and bisexual women, and also the transgender community. 
if we're going to move this work forward, we need to engage the community in research, but also to ensure that they have access to the care that they need, the care that represents, you know, their families of choice, that supports their caregivers, but also ensures that the care that they access and the services are more welcoming for everyone. So we greatly need that. We also need to really consider our measures. And when we're asking about identity, we need to be assessing, right? Sex assigned at birth, sexual orientation and gender identity. If we don't ask, we will not know about the concerns for the community. And really in order to make care resources and the research that we're doing, really welcoming and to meet the needs for everybody, we need to include the LGBTQIA plus community in this work. Today, our conversation has been with Dr. Jason Flatt, Assistant Professor at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas School of Public Health. Thank you so much for helping us untangle dementia and the LGBTQIA community. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Jason. We really appreciate you joining us today. And thank you, Heather, for another great conversation. And Amber, thank you for all you do behind the scenes as our editor and producer of this podcast. And thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast. I'm looking forward to our next conversation on Dementia Untangled. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dementia Untangled. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Dementia Untangled is hosted by Heather Mulder and Janice Greeno, produced and edited by Amber Ayers, and is brought to you by Banner Alzheimer's Institute and Banner Sun Health Research Institute. We are supported by generous donations to the Banner Alzheimer's Foundation please visit our website at banneralz.org and follow us on Facebook to learn about upcoming events. If you have questions or comments, please email us at dementiauntangled at bannerhealth.com. Mm -hmm.